coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. So what were the solutions out there that we wanted to, to go after? And how could we create an environment where we could bring that to market, so to speak? And then that led us to Gordon. Then that led us to the book. And then the book led you know, to the film. And, and there's just, it just steamrolled like that. It wasn't this grand design. It was just purpose-driven, purpose-led, with the only thing that guided us was doing what we felt was the right thing to do. Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message and interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming passion struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue the passion-driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Passion Struck Podcast. Thank you to all of you who come back to the show every week to listen, learn, and grow. If you're new to the show or you're looking for an easy way to tell your friends about it, we now have episode starter packs. These are collections of our favorite episodes that are organized by topic. It helps new listeners get a taste of everything that we do here. Just visit passionstruck.com start to get started or help somebody else get started. And of course, I always appreciate it when you do that. Today, we have my friend, Andrew Marr, as our guest. Andrew is a retired Special Forces Green Beret, co-founder of the Warrior Angels Foundation, and the best-selling co-author of Tales from the Blast Factory, a brain-injured Special Forces Green Beret's journey back from the brink. His book has been turned into an award-winning, full-featured documentary titled Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain, which is from Emmy and Academy Award producers. And on today's show, we discuss what is the exact role of a Green Beret and how is it different from other special forces? What was the driving reason that led him to becoming a Green Beret? His 2013 tour of duty in Afghanistan, which turned out to be his last, and the significant physical and mental changes that occurred shortly after his return. His long path of navigating the veteran affairs and getting nowhere, which turned into his own personal journey to find a cure for what was happening to him. How through that journey, he met Dr. Mark Gordon, who through alternate health and functional medicine, altered the impact of his brain injuries. Through that personal experience, he founded the Warrior Angels Foundation, which has helped thousands of veterans also recover from traumatic brain injury. And lastly, we go into the backstory for how he got on the Joe Rogan podcast and how that show has had such a tremendous impact. Now, let's become passion struck. Welcome to the Passion Struck podcast, and I am so excited to welcome Andrew Marr to the show. Welcome, Andrew. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, John. Yes, and you and I initially met actually via a Navy SEAL friend of mine, John McCaskill, who happened to see 
a movie that uh, the book that you wrote was made about. And I got in touch with Miss um, Shear, who I think was the executive producer, who in turn told me about this great episode on Joe Rogan. And then I listened to the episode. And for me, um, being a veteran myself, it was one of the first times I heard another veteran explain exactly what I had been going through for years and years and years. And so after that, um, I think within a matter of hours, I picked up the phone, called you, and, and we had our first conversation. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that we did. And it never ceases to amaze me the, um, the response that those, those podcasts that Joe has gotten and why I'm so grateful for them, because we've been able to kind of communicate this sequence of events that when you're going through it, you think you're the only one. But on the other side of it now, you know, and once, once we realize like, oh, you know what, this isn't special or specific to me. So let's really hunker in and think about what that entire process looked like and how we can best communicate it. Because I'm willing to bet the mortgage that there is a, you know, inordinate amount of other people, veteran, military, non-military, whatever, who are suffering in the same exact way and are completely unaware of what is at the root cause of that. And then more importantly, what can be done about it? And that's really been what our mission has really been all about, um, is providing an alternative that people did not know even existed. And, you know, we always stress, don't take my word for anything. Um, but through now, through the resources that we have out there, you can go and you can do your own research and you can come up with the answers for yourself. But there's paths now that lead to what we were told was, uh, there's just this one way. Nope. No, there's not. That's what the book was about. That's what the film was about. That's what people like me and you speaking about, whether it's uh, on a podcast or on the phone is all about. And that's why I'm just so excited to be on the show today and, and really just connect with you, John. Well, I'm so happy you're here. And um, as I told you at the beginning of the show, I've had a number of veterans on the show, um, including a number of Navy SEALs, but you're the first um, person from the special operations community who I've had on from the Army. And I think maybe for the listeners, it might be good for them to understand because each different um, spe special forces group really takes on a different mission. And can you outline for them, you know, what that mission is for the Green Berets and how it's different from others? Yeah, for sure. And I'll say that I am your in, uh, initial Army Special Forces uh, guy coming on, because when I was on my team, you were never to say it was your first time for anything. So the way we got around that was this is my initial go at something. So I'm just the initial one. And I'm excited, ecstatic to be the initial Green Beret on the uh, on the Passion Struck podcast. The biggest difference where Green Berets make their money and the distinction came back um, both with President Kennedy and one of the generals back in the day from the 60s, General Yarborough, when the uh, headgear that we wore, which the Green Beret, was illegal and President Kennedy came down to visit the Green Berets there in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, General Yarborough brought that to his attention that the Army had made the Green Berets an illegal headgear and they were wearing it anyway. 
And at that time, uh, President Kennedy made it a presidential citation um, where, in fact, we could officially take on the Green Beret as our uh, normal everyday uh, headwear. So that's kind of a little story, a uh, fun story about how the actual Green Beret came into fruition. But, the, but, but where we make our money is unconventional warfare. And you can think of that as guerrilla warfare. And so really that is uh, a small team. In this case, we have a special forces team, which is usually made up of 12 individuals. And their the specialty of UW guerrilla warfare is to go behind enemy lines, link up with some type of indigenous resistance force, and be able to assess the, the situation on the ground and see how to best position that resistance force to actually overthrow uh, a government. So we work by, with, and through indigenous forces to secure U.S. interests, usually, though, to replace uh, uh, one type of government with um, a pro-democratic, pro-liberty uh, uh, government. And that is the, the, the big difference. So yes, they, we have the direct action capabilities and the different infill capabilities and, and everything else, but where, where US special forces is a true di differentiator is that guerrilla warfare tactics, that unconventional warfare style. And our recent engagement with Afghanistan clearly highlighted the benefits of having a force and um, assets that were able to accomplish a mission set like that. So go back to uh, October of 2001, when you have a, a handful of uh, ODAs there, essentially able to link up with the, um, with the freedom fighters there in uh, Afghanistan, unite, um, come together in a very decentralized manner and in a very short time period, um, work with them to help to completely, you know, run the Taliban off 20 years ago, which I know is a sore subject for a lot of people. But that's a good um, that's a good way to kind of show that 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 skill set, that capability that Army Special Forces was made for was I mean, we we hit the ball out of the park uh, on that one. And then politics and politicians come in like they usually do and, and mess things up. And uh, that's maybe a different uh, different topic for a different show. Yes. Well, I, I know several of the folks um, who actually were in that mission uh, because they formed a whiskey company here called Horse Soldier um, in St. Petersburg. A um, number of the 12 strong from the movie, along with a, a few other uh, Green Berets um, who were not in that operation, but, but uh, served with them at one point or another. Um, and I think one other thing that's differentiates the Green Berets from other special forces is each and every member has to be a linguist. Um, so you're, you were each trained in, in another language to be part of the team, which goes to the mission of working with uh, the in-country uh, people that you're assigned to support and, and help. Um, yeah. So, so with so with that, to add on to that, John, and the, the importance of that is that you have to have a good understanding of all the uh, cultural nuances of any given area that you're going into. And so um, that was one of the things that, you know, the intent was that the, the language immersion and the cultural immersion 
would bring to the team so they could they could better maneuver the battle space because they knew the different uh, ins and outs and the mores of, of where they were at. So highly critical piece um, to being uh, to being a Green Beret is that linguistic component to, of it. Okay. And one final question on, on this before we uh, kind of move on is, you know, I always ask anyone who does the special forces, what, what possessed you it, you know, I, I told you my father at the beginning of the show uh, was in the special forces. And for him, um, when I asked him, you know, why did he go force recon instead of uh, just stay in the infantry? He said, because they paid me $150 more a month. Um, so everyone has different reasons, but uh, for you, what was, what was that reason? I think when you get down to it, um, I had finished my undergrad. I uh, was a college athlete, uh, college football. Um, and I, I identified as an athlete. The NFL wasn't calling, so I knew it was time to move some, somewhere else with my life. I always felt compelled to serve in some capacity. And I wanted to test myself in combat. I wanted to go through a crucible and I wanted to test myself in combat. And uh, when I looked at the different and I knew special operations was where I wanted to go. I didn't necessarily know which um, which niche that I wanted to, to go. So as I studied them all, um, Green Berets just became more appealing to me as a you know initial entry point into it. And the reason what uh, the reason was because that they generally are a little bit more mature. So I was a little bit older when I entered the service. I was 25 and um, they're usually a little bit more mature. And, you know, the the unconventional warfare uh, really spoke to me. And I thought that, you know, I had some talents and skill sets that would be um, utilized there, you know, well. And, and so I took it to it like a fish in water. But that was really it. It was, hey, I, we're, we're at war. I want to test myself. I want to, I want to provide, you know, benefit. I'm looking for other individuals that are on the same level as I am. And um, then it was, okay, which, which one of these do I think I can best, you know, serve? And it was one of the best decisions uh, of my life because day in and day out, I got to be around the absolute best that this country had to offer. And what that afforded me was the opportunity to bring my A game every day because nothing less than your A game was tolerated, especially when you're at the high stakes game of uh, life and death. And so I love the stakes that were there and the type of, you know, the weird type of individuals that that brought together on, on that unified front, man. There was just, there's no other way to, um, to reproduce that than, than what was there. So those are all the driving factors and, and components that led me kind of down that pathway. Okay. And I remember um, from our initial conversation, some, sometime around 2013, uh, you were on deployment in Afghanistan and in almost every single day you were involved in combat situations and doing uh, what your job was, you were exposed to a lot of uh, different uh, ex explosions and the concussion waves that, that they result in. So can you tell the audience, you know, when you, you came off this tour in Afghanistan and you came home and you started realizing that um, something inside of you had changed? 
Yeah. So going back, that was what turned out to be my last deployment. It was in 2013 and it was in Wardak, Afghanistan. And like you had said, it was, um, it was physically and, and psychologically uh, challenging. And, and yes, it was life with um, combat uh, just through the entirety of, of that deployment. I mean, a, tr- a true operator's dream. And like you said, in and around countless explosions. And then, you know, to just get to that point, it was in and around. It's hard to quantify, but guys have been around literally thousands of low-level blasts over the course of their career. And uh, I was no different. It's just, you know, to become proficient in something, you, you do it uh, until you can do it without thinking about it. And being a specializing in explosive blasts to, to be, a, you know, the senior breacher on the team is no different. So then throw that into a combat situation where you, again, you're in close proximity to danger, close munitions being dropped, uh, RPGs and uh, everything else. Well, it kind of becomes a little bit of a breeding ground for uh, a difficult environment for the brain to thrive and recover in. And so I didn't, I was only knocked unconscious in my entire career once and it was brief. And I'm talking like less than three to five seconds. But I came to um, and I had absolutely no understanding of where I was or who I was. I knew that the sun was out and now it was completely pitch black. And so I thought maybe, maybe I'm in a building and maybe there's an earthquake or something. And um, that was kind of my, my first thoughts before, you know, RPG started coming back in and, and uh, small arms, uh, PKM fire starts whizzing by again. And then that, you know, just triggered the natural response. And I was able to go back to work to doing the things that have, you know, been woven into my central nervous system. So thinking really wasn't required at that point because I had done so much to get, get to that level of proficiency. And after that mission, I didn't think anything of it. I survived, no big deal. It was kind of back to work uh, as usual. And I didn't suffer any noticeable consequences for the rest of that deployment. I say noticeable because I wasn't aware of any. And again, I wasn't in an environment where I was having to really um, challenge my cognitive abilities because I wasn't learning new things. It wasn't like the problem sets that I was being presented were really all like something new. There's different, you know, uh, different costumes, different uh, locations, different players. But it's the same thing, you know, over and over again, just played out a little bit differently. So I didn't have to really, you know, think too much about it. So I didn't notice if there was anything going wrong there cognitively. I didn't notice it. there could have been. But because I was able to re- rely on you know, years of hard work to get to that point, it's, it's hard to say. But it wasn't until about, John, I would say um, three to four months after I got back from that deployment that I did started to notice uh, and have new symptoms that I had never experienced before. And up until this point, I am the epitome of what you would think as a healthy individual. Um, I'd never had any real physical problems, never had any you know, psychological um, issues. And, and of course, special operations goes through uh, just a very strenuous process to identify and cultivate individuals who are psychologically resilient to go along with the physical resiliency. And, um, and, and so what I first started experiencing, which was odd to me as a 33 year old individual 
who was married to the woman of his dreams that um, I was and still am incredibly attracted to was a complete and lack uh, loss of libido. So unable to perform and in, in, in that manner whatsoever. And again, that was the first time in my life that I ever experienced anything like that. And I thought, wow, that's odd. Well, we just came off a very intense trip. I think it's just going to take some time for my body to come back online. So I'll just keep charging through. Well, that also makes things difficult at the house when all of a sudden you're not able to perform that way, especially after being gone on a, on a long deployment. And so my wife's, uh, you know, her response is, well, either I think it's that you don't love me anymore or you found someone else. And so like now I'm thinking, man, I got to put up with this, not, this nonsense. I'm, 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 un, I'm unable to get it up, unable to perform. And now my wife's, you know, thinking there's something else going on, which couldn't be further from the truth. But then that kind of steamrolled into um, a, a loss of energy. And it's so easy just to gloss over that and say, oh, I didn't have the energy that I used to have. But I'm talking about out of nowhere, man, unable to have the energy to get through the day and do anything of benefit or value. And again, I was like, there's no outward signs that are pointing to that anything's changed. I haven't missed, a, I'm not missing a limb. I'm not missing an eye. There's, there's, there's no physical, you know, uh, there's not a scratch on me. And all of a sudden, you know, now I'm just having a difficult time gathering myself to get up and face the day and do anything productive. And that never an issue. I've always been a high energy guy, um, highly motivated, um, defined by a, a vision of the future and, and going after that vision with full force. And that started to then steamroll into having some, some psychological uh, issues. So what I mean by that is I started to have um, anxiety attacks, uh, panic attacks. And this is complete new territory and new terrain for me because at that point in my life, I thought it very ignorantly that that was just a weak-minded individual's problem. And, you know, what do you mean uh, anxiety? Like, I, I just lived through all these things here. There's nothing to be anxious about. There's nothing to panic about. And yet, you're so you're out and it didn't matter if I was in public. It didn't matter if I was in the weight room, didn't matter if I was in front of my children, I would have these panic attacks come on, start hyperventilating. You get this like narrow tunnel vision and you feel very dizzy. And then like your heart rate accelerates and it feels like there's like something trying to come up like a fist through your chest and through your um, stomach. And then it becomes very difficult to breathe. And then I would just start crying uncontrollably, like unprovoked, nothing, no reason to do that. And then just boom, out like a runaway gun, said to let it run its course. Nothing I could do. I was a witness to this going on in my own body, which was shocking at the time. So that started to progress and happen on a somewhat routine basis. And then I started to become plagued by uh, this overwhelming sense of depression. Now, again, I had absolutely zero reason in my life to be depressed. I wasn't hung up on anything I had done operationally, wanted to continue to do it and live that life. Um, there just wasn't anything like that. And again, I said, like, I'm married to the one of my dreams. I have the job that I, gives me a sense of 
purpose and fulfillment. We have the family we always wanted, but yet here I am and I'm waking up. And the best way to describe it is like feeling, feeling as if the team, my team, I did something that led to a number of them to their death or that my family was just killed in a car accident. Like that's what it felt like. And it wasn't going away. So that blanket is just washed over me. And it's not something that you just say, hey, man, I just choose to, to not have this feeling anymore. It was overwhelming. And I was having this internal battle inside once I was always been a very positive minded person. And now I have this newfounded negativity and gloom. I, I, in the book, we talked like an ominous dark cloud just came and it set up shop. And um, so now I'm starting to think that I'm losing my mind. Cause I'm like, Jesus, man, like there's no, I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with me and I'm having all of these problems. And so the only thing that I knew at that point to do, which created or uh, was any short-term benefit was to drink. And that's the only thing that would stop a panic attack. And man, I started drinking from sunup to sundown and it got so bad that I was, I was drinking and driving just recklessly. And but it didn't dawn on me like the switch to say, hey, dude, bad idea. Not only are you endangering yourself, all these innocent people around here, you're putting in danger because you're driving while intoxicated. No, man, that, that switch wasn't even there. It wasn't even something to toggle between. It, was, it wasn't even in my um, forefront to think, oh, is this a decision that I should go and weigh the pros and cons? Of course, I know not to do that, but that was the state that I was in. That was the amount of cognitive impairment that I was dealing with. And it wasn't until like, I, I guess I did have a brief moment um, after a number of those um, times where I was like, oh my God, I am going to put people at risk. And I, you know, one of the, the promises you make with you is to yourself when you're on the team is I will never do anything to put my team at risk. And at that point, I was I had become a liability and I didn't know why or what the problem was. So that's the first time that I kind of raised my hand and I said, hey, man, I need some help. Here is how I went from, you know, what the person that everybody knows, which at that point in my career, I had earned my place at the table. I was respected. I had done enough to where when I talked, people listened. So it wasn't that like anybody was deaf. What I had to say, my unit bent over backwards to try to be supportive, you know, initially. And but but those those, John, that's that that that's the the like the first 60 days where I went from, man, this high performing individual to like life has come off the rails and it didn't get any better from there. But that was like the initial decline where I realized like something is not right. And I'm not just bouncing back like I thought I would. Yeah. So your onset of symptoms and mine were a little bit different. Mine, mine came on more gradually, but um, they overlap, as we've talked about before, almost to a T. Um, and I remember this would have been, you know, I got out of the service um, sometime eventually around 2001, maybe 2002, three time frame. I'm, I'm starting to realize, you know, I, I have cognitive decline. I have memory issues. I'm irritable. I'm angry. I've got 
vertigo, I've got vestibular things going on. And I, I go to my doctor and he immediately sends me to see a psychiatrist who then wants to put me on Lexapro and Wellbutrin and a whole bunch of other things because they said, this is all a mental thing. You know, at that point, yeah. we weren't even looking at PTSD or, or, and I tried to explain to them the TBI and it was just brushed off. So I ended up um, suffering for this for years and years and eventually went to a neurologist who, you know, I thought finally this neurologist is going to tell me what's going on. And he ran, you know, your EEGs, MRIs, CT scans, did a sleep test, you know, found I had sleep apnea, but um, said none of it is conclusive, sent me to a neuropsych. And coming out of that, she goes, the only thing I can tell is that you're just depressed. And so, you know, then I hit another hurdle. And, you know, at that point, I decided I'm finally going to go to the VA. Um, and it took me literally like navigating the system because it's all protocol based, like two years before I could finally see the TBI specialist at the Bay Pines Hospital. And I get finally get to this session with this VA doctor who I think is going to have a profound impact on my life. And her first words to me is, why are you even contacting me? If you had a TBI, it would have gotten better so many years ago, and these don't persist. And I said, well, actually, ma'am, that's not what the CDC says. The CDC says that there are 5.5 million people who have progressively worsened symptoms over time. So, and also EEGs, MRI, CTs, unless they're using special technology in an MRI, don't pick up the majority of the concussion symptoms or TBIs that veterans have. And, you know, it was about that time, um, and I was just losing it, that um, I heard about you and met you. Now, subsequent to that, um, I have now run into a group within the VA um, who actually does know what they're talking about, and it's the polytrauma program at the, the Haley VA, where when I finally talked to Dr. Merritt there and the, the PA who came from Special Operations Command, when I started going through my symptoms, they're like, you are like 99% of the special operators we see. And, but it's like, why in a system that's supposed to take care and understand when literally thousands of people have, you know, been reporting these symptoms, is it only now coming to light um, what's going on? And even with that, as we'll get into with the Warrior Angels Foundation, they are still using conventional uh, Western medicine techniques to treat the patients and they're not using functional medicine and more of a, a holistic approach to helping, you know, what should be not only veterans, but it's athletes, it's people who might've gotten into a car wreck, it's first responders, et cetera. So, um, so I know long winded thing, you and I are experiencing the same thing. We're having the same frustrations with the VA system. And it was at this point that you made a couple of different discoveries. I think one is you watched a film um, called Pathway, if I have it right. And through that, um, a number of connections were made and you eventually became acquainted to a Dr. Mark Gordon. And maybe you can just talk about what transpired there. 
Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passionstruck. Yeah, you know, a, just a number, a sequence of events, you know, life through several curveballs, you know, took me a minute to, to get my bearings. But what came out of, you know, and again, John, to your point, the exact same thing. So in addition to the things that I talked about kind of with my symptomatology, exactly the same thing. My cognitive abilities start, started to be depleted. Uh, my memory gone, uh, ability to go and pull out the correct vocabulary and use that, that, like talking everyday words, didn't have it anymore. And then the kind of physical issue started with the uh, headaches that led into migraine headaches, which led, led into blurry vision and then double vision. And then just like you, vertigo and vestibular and difficulty walking in a straight line. And, um, where that got me was, uh, med- you know, being forced to be medically retired from the army, labeled with you know thirty plus you know disabilities, you know every mood disorder you could think of, and neurocognitive disorder, and uh, put on double digit medications, and the exact same thing that happened, and and I started to go to the literature, even in my cognitively depleted and brain depleted state, I, I just. I said, well, listen, man, I've been around a lot of explosions and I haven't heard anybody talk about that. So maybe there's something to it. And I started to, on my own time, investigate and research the neuroendocrine system. And I did find there was a whole literature out there on it. And there was even the literature um, on blast-induced injuries and how that affected the neuroendocrine system. What I knew about the neuroendocrine system before that, zero. I probably couldn't even told you there was two hemispheres to the brain, but when, when you're backed up against the corner, man, you're going to start to figure some stuff out. So when you learn about the neuroendocrine system, you say, oh my gosh, this regulates absolutely everything in the body. If that is affected, it's going to affect everything else downstream. And I thought, hmm. And so we went and we talked, I talked to a number of um, endocrinologists. This is through the military. 
And they accused me of abusing anabolic steroids. They said the only logical conclusion and reason that we can come up to come up with that your numbers are this low is that you are abusing anabolic steroids. I said, could it have anything to do with being in close proximity to hundreds, if not thousands of blasts? No, not that I'm aware of. No, I've never seen anything like that. And that's what I was told time and time again. What you're experiencing has nothing to do with a physical injury. It's psychological. And it never sat right with me, John. Never sat right with me because I wasn't having psychological issues about them. Um, uh, there was no psychological injury there. Uh, I did have, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, but we now know that that was a downstream manifestation of a neuro, like an, a chronically inflamed brain that had just incredible deficiencies and indeficiencies indefic that manifested and all these things that we're, you know, attributing these acronyms to. So being pushed out, now I'm on the streets. At that point, you know, I'm married. I have five kids. It took like nine months for all my entitlements and my retirement and things to come online. So we're literally without a paycheck for, for nine months. And my, my oldest boy, who's 13 months at the time, um, had a life-threatening illness. And it was just, a, it was a very difficult time. And it was next to his bedside. He's actually in the ICU at Seattle Children's. And he just had a um, major operation to remove just a massive growth out of his neck. And as he's there, man, I took the last allotment I ever took, which is a, a, a pain pill, a, high, highly, a very powerful pain pill. And I washed it down with an airplane bottle of whiskey. And I came to a moment of clarity right there next to my son. And I realized that in the condition that I was in, like it was going to kill me. But worse than that, I realized not only was I ruining the lives of everyone I said that I loved, I was creating, there was no value they were getting from that interaction. I thought it was far worse. So the promise that I made my boy and myself right there was threefold. Number one, it was that I was going to return to the man of my pre-injury status. Number two, I was going to find a way to come off all the medication I was told I would have to be on for the rest of my life. And at that point, didn't matter what wall I had to go through, what mountain I had to climb, where we had to go, how much money it cost, who I had to see, what they thought of me or didn't think, irrelevant, all of it irrelevant. Because at that point, those two things had now become non-negotiable. And the third one was after I had accomplished number one and two, I was going to spend the rest of my life turning around and helping other individuals and families that found themselves in the same situation that me and my family found ourselves in. And that was enough to pull me out of one line of time and put me in a new line of time. And though I didn't have the answers, though I didn't have the resources, though I didn't have the right you know, care team, in my mind, it was already a done deal and I was on that pathway. And I went out and my, my unit wouldn't give me leave or wouldn't let me go out and seek medical care, alternative medical care that the TRICARE wouldn't pay for, the military system. Fine, I'll take leave. I'll take leave and I'll go on my own dime 
and I'll do it myself. And that's what exactly what I did. So I started to go all over the countries. I've been to a number of brain centers, both within the military system and without um, seeking some type of uh, improvements. Uh, and I knew because uh, you're hearing stories, start to talk to other people and you, you know, learning about all these alternative modalities that are poo-pooed for a number of different reasons. And when you're in a extreme level like that, you don't care about any of that stuff. You just want to find some, some level of going back and living life on your terms again. And that's kind of where that put me. So, um, doctor, I, 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 I attracted some media attention and I, I believe it was a uh, Fox news or Forbes article, something of that. And Dr. Gordon, uh, you know, a world famous practitioner of neuroendocrinology in the Los Angeles area, he read it. He contacted, he was able to then contact me and uh, he sent me an email and he was like, listen, hey, this is who I am. This is my credentials. This is what we've been doing with TBI. You know, here's some media that uh, I've done. And one of those specifically was a podcast he sent me with another veteran that uh, was on Joe Rogan's podcast. I listened to that podcast, John, and just like it was you hearing somebody as if they were talking solely about you, it was the exact same thing with me. So as I'm hearing this guy relate his story and the symptoms and the treatments and the side effects from the treatments and then more medication and more this just vicious cycle, and then to hear Dr. Gordon Mark talk about, hey, here's what was really going on. Here's how we were able to identify it objectively because there was nothing objective about those dozens mood disorders that I was labeled with. No objective, Paul, there. It was somebody's subjective opinion. Um, there was no objectivity when I was just like you put on all these damaging pharmaceutical drugs. It was just a subjective call. It's like, hey, we're going to take some objective evidence, which is uh, laboratory tests, looking at these important biomarkers that if we're going to be able to identify one, is there neuroinflammation? And then two, is there deficiencies in these important neurosteroids that are needed to run the brain and body? And if there are, then we can correct those individually and personalize it to your own biological individuality, your own unique needs. So now we're talking about not only precision diagnostics, but precision personalized uh, medicine and care. And it became obvious to me through that podcast and through the interactions with Dr. Gordon that this is what the type of treatment that humans should have. There's no cookie cutter solution here. You need to be treated on an individual level. You need to identify, hey man, what is the underlying condition that is causing these things? And if there is an underlying condition, can we identify it and can we treat it and can we mitigate it or modulate it? That's exactly what happened. And so through that interaction with Dr. Gordon, I was able to get on a protocol with him, a personalized protocol, life-changing, life-changing. Lights went back on, cognitive abilities come, have come back on um, now, and that was in 2015. Since 2015, I'm symptom, I'm medication-free, and I'm performing as good, if not better, than my pre-injury status. We were told that would be impossible point blank, time and time again, finger in my chest from the medical establishment, nobody comes back from things like this. And now we've helped to replicate results just like mine thousands of times. And so I don't really care what other people have to say about it. We have the evidence, we have the proof, the science, it backs it up, but you can't refute or you can refute, but the 
the proof is in the pudding. People in the street, lights are turned off, lights are back on, back in the community, being a husband, being a father, being a wife, being a mother, being a productive member of society, starting businesses. Those ripple effects will expand through the sands of time and have this positive benefit that we're having. But like going back to your question, man, <laughs> I, I get sidetracked and I get amped up when I, when I talk about these things. That's how, that's how Gordon and I crossed paths. And then that uh, uh, then led into kind of a partnership where we, we started to bring this to other people. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it's all very interesting to me because um, there are so many doctors now who are now looking at alternative means of dealing with this because they know the primary means are not working and are not effective that uh, are normally thrown at people. And I know another doctor you work with, uh, Dr. Michael Lewis, had him on the podcast as well. When he was working at Walter Reed, found, a, found an objective link between low levels of omega-3s and TBI victims. Um, I have another doctor coming on next week, uh, neurologist Jay Lombard, who has figured out ways to reverse not only TBIs, but ALS, Alzheimer, um, and Parkinson's, because he is finding many of the things that you're talking about, uh, the brain gets uh, damaged and these enzymes or hormones don't release and they get trapped. And when they do, that trapping or think of it as not flushing it out of the system um, can cause some of these things to happen. And then there's all the... Um, stuff that you're talking about uh, that I've now been exposed to uh, through the foundation that are also there. But it, it is ironic that, um, you know, the VA is not using any of these um, alternate means right now to, to treat. Um, the, the other thing before I get into why you founded the Warrior Foundation, in case a veteran is listening to this, is, you know, I had five documented TBIs plus other things in my record. To this day, although they service connect me to TBI, they refuse to give me anything above 0%, yet they will, they will connect me for vestibular hypofunction, functional vision issues, migraines, and a whole list of other things, yet they refuse to acknowledge that it's the TBI that's the main factor that's imp impacting all these other things which to me is still ludicrous. Um, but um, where I wanted to go now is you meet Dr. Gordon um, and what came first? Was writing the book first? Was it founding the Warrior Angels Foundation? What, what was that sequencing? The first thing was, was founding the foundation. And we went about it completely ass backwards in that we didn't even have a specified mortality that we are championing or anything else. It was solely that this is even before I met Dr. Gordon and it was, Hey, I, I saw a problem. I experienced it firsthand and I'm a senior special forces uh, NCO and I can, I can care for myself, but how is an 18 year old private supposed to navigate uh, this terrain? or somebody that's in a, a, a brain damaged state uh, as, a, as a veteran. So it was like, I don't know exactly what we're gonna do, but we're gonna start a foundation and it's gonna be a wrapped around this issue. 
and it's going to be about providing solutions. And so, again, that was, you know, was it bold? Uh, maybe so, but, um, but I just knew we were going there. And rather than wait to have all your ducks in a row, let's just start it, man, and continue to, continue to go through it. So we had a number of different modalities that we supported early on. And, and then after my success with Gordon and the Millennium Health Centers, it became just very apparent that that would be the sole modality that we would get behind and support because not only did it prove itself to be the most effective clinically, it was also made the most economical sense uh, when compared to a lot of these, these other modalities, which absolutely have merit and benefit. But we found if you don't address the neuroinflammation and the deficiencies or insufficiencies to neurosteroids, anything else would be a short-term benefit and it wouldn't be a, a long-lasting effect. And um, so that's what led us with the foundation. That's what led us to uh, solely focus on the neuroendocrine aspect of it via Dr. Gordon's uh, Gordon protocol. And from there, uh, and, and I should say here, my brother, Adam Marr, um, was a captain in the, in the army, uh, aviator, uh, company commander, flew the uh, Apache uh, number of combat mission missions and, and hours uh, as well. Adam resigned his commission and he actually turned down a promotion to get out of the army to help me to get back on my feet. We started the foundation together. And then once I was, you know, had made this radical turnaround, he's like, listen, we have to write about this. He's like, what we have here is a blueprint for other people dealing with the same situation to be able to navigate it where before it just, it didn't really exist. And so that's how that came about. It was, you know, going through the process, uh, the kind of the entrepreneurial type of uh, venture. Hey man, we, we identified a real problem and it affected us at this way. We identified all of the solutions. None of them were any good for us. So what were the solutions out there that we wanted to, to go after and how could we create an environment where we could bring that to market, so to speak. And then that led us to Gordon. Then that led us to the book. And then the book led, you know, to the film and, and there's just, it's a steamrolled like that. It wasn't this grand design. It was just purpose-driven, purpose-led with the only thing that guided us was doing what we felt was the right thing to do. Okay. Well, that's a great story. Um, and I, I wanted to hear also the one about how, how did you end up getting on the Joe Rogan show? Because for me, it would be a dream to be on that show. Um, you know, I, I feel like a peon compared to his podcast empire that, that he's built, but, um, how did he find out about you guys? Because I, I love some of the causes that he brings on his podcast. Yeah. Joe is a truly remarkable individual. And I have just such a special place in my heart for that man. I mean, he's really brought this whole thing to the forefront because it was something that he cared about. Um, and we've had just the complete honor of being on the show, you know, three times now. And he's just been and is a such a big supporter of what we've been doing. And now, you know, the greater, uh, the greater movement at large, we got in there because, um, and, and this has been said publicly, so it's okay to say now, but him and, and Dr. Gordon had a relationship and um, he was actually uh, being seen by Dr. Gordon. And again, that that's out in the public uh no, that's not, not, not me disclosing something that shouldn't be disclosed. Um, so that's how they, um, 
he experienced the same benefits that you and I are talking about. And wanted to just publicize this for everyone else so that they could hear the story and get the help that they needed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, he wanted, so he brought us on and it was such a good show. You know, we've done it, you know, three times now since uh, 2015, with the last one being um, early this year, January of, uh, of this year. And, uh, you know, Joe was in our documentary. And like I said, he's just been an incredible um, supporter of everything that we've done. Um, and I, I don't have anything else to say, but you know, it's like, yeah. it's all out there, but he continues to want to bring it back on there because he wants to get the, the message out and just have it continue to be, to be pushed out. And, and now with kind of the stuff that he's battling um, with mainstream media, you know, going his alternative uh, routes to, to treat COVID when he came down with it, I think he thinks it's even more important to highlight these areas that are uh, evidence-based and scientifically valid, but for whatever reason are being scrutinized in the, in the, in by mainstream media. So again, he just it continues to be an incredible outlet to put out alternative viewpoints where you can go and check for yourself and see if you think that's something viable for you or not. I, I, that, that to me is what free speech is all about, man. And it, his podcast to me epitomizes that. Okay. Well, that's great. And for the listener who's here, um, hearing you out, they may not understand completely what en endocrinologist, what, what it means to get uh, treatment by endocrinologist. So, you know, when I started the program, it all started with um, getting some blood work done to understand what was going on and to see if there was a pattern that matched uh, what a lot of other people in your program um, ex experienced and to see if there were similar similarities in the way my blood work looked like compared to others. And, you know, it was pretty much the same gap. Um, so that's the starting point. And then um, through your program, you get uh, assigned to a physician who then monitors your care and puts you on supplements and also, if you're low in certain hormones, uh, those hormones as well. Is that a good way to uh, explain it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It is um, completely personalized based on the needs of the individual. And we get that. Um, we're able to ascertain the needs through kind of uh, two, two pathways. One is there kind of subjective analysis, um, a symptomatology report and you know how their life is going and then number that's so that's the subjective route and then number two is the objective route which is the the lab so the results of the blood work and from that the provider is going to be able to understand in excruciating detail what is going on with that individual and how one objective evidence can influence some subjective outcomes and vice versa and now it's because, because what was fascinating with me was, it was like, Hey, because you're deficient in growth hormone and you're deficient in free testosterone and you're deficient in vitamin D. Well, guess what the research says this leads to mood disorders, low levels of energy, low cognitive functioning, memory issues, these things like, so it was like the, dissecting me to the T just by saying, Hey, these are the things that, that you're, that you need to make that your body's not making anymore, or they're not making enough of it due to the trauma. And how do they know the trauma was there? Because of the neuroinflammatory mechanism 
that's going on. And like you talked about earlier, that's not going to show up on any imaging as fancy as it could be. So that's really that underlying clause there that's oftentimes being missed is that neuroinflammatory state that when that goes into a chronic situation, like more than 30 to say 90 days, well, that's when it really starts to kill off that cell to cell communication, those deficiencies where those hormones, those important hormones are being produced or the messages being sent to be produced is inhibited. And that's when you start to have the real downstream consequences. That's oftentimes what's missed. So when people are able to come into our program, because we have those two things that we're looking at, the subjective and the objective, we're usually able to identify it um, with a high level of of competency and um, success. And then even better than that, like we talked about, treat that specific to the individual. Cool thing about Dr. Michael Lewis is he was the, the DOD's foremost expert on the identification and treatment of traumatic brain injury. And like you talked about, he did some just groundbreaking studies. One of them, uh, like you talked about with uh, omegas and uh, suicide. And so what they were able to do is they were able to, and to go back to Walter Reed. So they had this great sample size and they had the biggest blood blank, blood bank in the world, look at individuals that committed suicide and look at their blood. And they had a great control group, people who didn't commit suicide and look at their blood. And what did he find? he find that the causal link that they felt was a huge leading indicator was people that were high in omega-6, low in omega-3, were much more correlated to suicide than even witnessing uh, a loved one die in combat. Well, so, and he also had a natural solution to combat and to mitigate that. You think that the, the army and the military would have championed that, but no, they swept that under the rug like it was nobody's business. Uh, like it was yesterday's news. So that that's a level of, uh, of expertise we're able to bring into our program. Dr. Gordon, we have on one coast, Dr. Lewis, we have on another, and we kind of match up uh, our participants with uh, where they're at geographically and, and the unique uh, needs uh, of, of the individual and as well as some other providers. But, you know, yes. So um, I'm just kind of rambling there, John, but, but no, that, no, that I- is the the process of, of trying to identify, you know, those discrepancies and more importantly for individuals like you and I actually doing something about it, actually treating the underlying condition at a personalized level. Yeah. And I just want to hit on the, the suicide thing just real quick. Um, you know, and the figures are pretty staggering in, you know, the 20 year war on terror, there were, you know, just over 5,000, fatalities, um, not counting injuries, but during that same period, depending on if you count active duty suicides and veteran suicides, it ranges between 135,000 and 170,000 lives that have been lost. And interestingly enough, I did a podcast uh, with a Naval Academy classmate of mine, Chuck Smith, Marine Corps officer, because his XO took his life and we wanted to bring awareness Uh, He did a TED talk on this that got about 2 million views. And I went out to um, eight to to 10, three and four star um, flag officers that I know. And I shared the episode with them. And I said, would you be willing to share this because of your influence? And these are people who would normally respond to me almost immediately. 
And the crazy thing is, is that not one of them even acknowledged me sending them the information. And I finally have discovered a big reason why is because they're all afraid it's going to hurt recruitment efforts in the military, which to me is, is just taking this in completely the wrong direction. Yeah, I agree. You bring up a good point. Um, many fold. One is that we have a certain treatment paradigm that's been applied to, the, to, these, to these areas, head injuries, psychological injuries. And the numbers speak for themselves. But what's interesting, John, is the amount of dollars that are spent to treat these has gone up every year, hockey stick, hockey, uh, up and to the right. So you would think that you would also see the numbers improve, but what you see is they get worse. They've gotten worse over time. So all this money we spend on suicide prevention and suicide awareness, are we in or any better off for it? The evidence says we're not. No, we're worse than for it. So I think any intelligent person would have to ask themselves, well, what we're doing is not working. Matter of fact, it seems to be having the inverse effect. So what I don't understand from the flag officer perspective is if we could, one, identify this, two, treat it, does that mean we could also somehow possibly prevent or lessen the cause by implementing some of these, um, some of these protocols that are pennies on the dollar compared to what they're speaking? The answer is absolutely yes, 100%. If you can keep the brain and body in a neuropermissive environment where it can it can bounce back from from a from a injury the way it's intended to because it has the right you're putting the right things in the body, then I would think as a strengthening of the force you would absolutely want to do that. That would be a recruitment enhancer. I would feel because you could say not only are we we cared about you and your career and you're being able to be as effective as a human and as a citizen coming out of service. But these things that have crippled people in the past, we now have an action plan for, and the science is pretty clear on it. This will help to mitigate it. And if it does, you do have this injury, this will help you to recuperate and to come back. So why that's not being done, uh, man, I have a lot of viewpoints on that, but I, I have encountered pretty much the same response as you, you know, a number of different times with a number of high-level so-called high-level individuals. And unfortunately, that's where everything has got to start is at that level or it's not going to cascade down. Well, I, I, um, I wanted to kind of end um, the episode by giving you kind of an opportunity to talk about what's next for the foundation. And if someone is listening to this, um, how can they get in touch with the program? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's just an honor to be here with you, John. Our website is waftbi.org. That's waftbi.org. Don't take my word for any of it. Go there. We have an awesome media library. We have a ton of resources. Check it out. Check the, check the, check the resources out. Go and read the articles yourself. Come to your own conclusion. But what I'm here to tell you is there is an alternative to the only, what we were told was the only show in town. Um, people like John and myself are living proof that you can come back and live a high quality of life after this. 
what the foundation has been doing, um, we've actually uh, bifurcated and also um, have found ourselves in the psychedelic assisted therapy realm and supporting a lot of research and a lot of legislat legislative efforts um, in, in, in that arena. And the results that we're seeing from individuals who are put on the different psychedelic protocols are as profound as we're seeing uh, treating the, the neuroendocrinology um, deficits. And it's usually, in, in my opinion, and, and the science will come out on this and whatever it says is what it will say, but uh, I, I believe the evidence is pointing, pointing towards, man, if you can first uh, correct somebody's uh, deficiencies and modulate, mitigate, downplay that inflammation, get, get that out of there or back to you know, appropriate levels, and then put them, if needed, on a psychedelic-assisted therapy regimen, well, what you're going to see there is a synergistic effect. We've seen that anecdotally and empirically now, and now we're funding um, some research uh, that's being done in that domain. So I feel like the veteran community, John, like we're on the cutting edge of neuroscience. We're on the cutting edge of uh, neurotrauma, you know, uh, neuro restoration. Now we're on the cutting edge um, with other veteran groups out there of um, psychedelic assisted therapy. And for the first time ever, we're actually now doing what the research, you know, stopped doing in the late 60s and 70s was um, looking at these compounds and seeing how they interact. So now for the first time ever, we're sponsoring studies and research to be done looking at the, um, the like the Gordon protocol or taking these nutraceuticals, combining it with psychedelic assisted therapy, and then chronicling the, the outcomes, which of course will be published in the, you know, the peer reviewed uh, literature. So all that's coming uh, 2022 and beyond. We were able to get in Texas, pass legislation, uh, House Bill 1802 to do the first ever, ever state funded um, clinical study of psilocybin and MDA on combat veterans. And so that's being run through the Baylor College School of Medicine by a brilliant uh, neuropsychologist, Dr. Avril, uh, uh, Lynette, Lynette Avril. And, um, and that's made its way into similar legislation now in Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida. So we're going to continue to do more of the same. We're going to continue to be a voice for those who can't uh, raise their voice. We're going to be continue to put out evidence-based and scientifically valid treatment protocols that help to actually heal as opposed to being a Band-Aid and just manage a symptom. So answers, hope, healing. That's what we're all about. That's what the future has in store for us. And we're going to continue to roll that out until there's not a breath left in my body. Well, and I think it's so important for everyone to understand because the frustration with me was the entire system was trying to, see, to treat the symptoms instead of treating the underlying cause. And once you start getting the underlying cause addressed, the symptoms start disappearing. Um, so, you know, I think you guys are really onto something. Um, if you're not a veteran, um, you still can use Dr. Gordon or Dr. Lewis's um, treatment. You just have to go to each one of them separately. Is that correct? That is correct. You can get to them through our website. We have now what's called the at-home protocol. And so what, what that means is we have the nutraceuticals. Well, I mean, let me back that up. First thing we do now typically is anybody who comes into our program, 
um, we put on a nutraceutical protocol. That means nothing prescribed. And also we're not even doing um, labs. We're putting them on these uh, nutraceuticals that modulate, that drop the inflammation and that support the brain being able to repair, rejuvenate and recover itself. And that's the first 90 days. Every 30 days, they're going to do um, a, a symptom review and say, you know, hey, from start to now, here's how I'm doing on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest, no good, 10 being I'm just doing phenomenal. I couldn't be doing any better. So we'll get that about 50% now. This is just in-house and, and nothing. Um, these are just our clinical observation. 50% of the individuals, they don't need to go any further on the nutraceutical protocol. They feel that they've made the jumps and the leaps that they need to do, and they're going to either maintain that or they're going to come off and can, can continue to do life. So that's the first part. And then for those who are not getting the benefit that they, that they want to see after 90 days, now that's when we'll put them and we'll run the labs and then we'll see what the labs do. And then we'll go in a more, more personalized approach. Now I say all that to say this, those nutraceutical protocols are now available to the individual through our website. So we have Dr. Lewis's curated products that he recommends, and that is called the Warrior Pack, and that is on the uh, waftbi.org site. So the same thing that, you're, that you would get if you came to us, you can now get for, uh, for yourself. All those sales benefit directly the foundation allows us to run operations. That's one side of the, uh, of the aisle. The other side is Dr. Gordon has not only curated, he's created his own neutral suitable products that we also sell. So we have both of those. How are they different? Um, they're not too different. Um, they're just different, different nutraceuticals, different natural products, different combinations of each. Um, and some people like to go with this and they don't like the stuff over here and, and vice versa. So we made options out there. So I, again, if you want access to the nutraceuticals, curated nutraceuticals by two of the best, best brain doctors in the world, in my opinion, you can get them through our website and you can know that those cells go to support our operations. Then I, that would be my recommendation for anybody, whether it's a family member or somebody I'm talking to on the phone. And then number two, if after 90 days, you're not where you think you should be, then that's when you can start that more uh, hands-on approach. And you can get to the both doctors through our website, waftbi.org. Okay. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you, especially for being so vulnerable as you have been all along with telling your story, because I think the more people, and I'm finding this myself as I talk about it more, um, I have more and more veterans, as you know, coming to me because of these podcasts and we're able to help. Um, these individuals, which is, I think, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is help each other. So thank you so much for what you're doing um, and for where you're taking this whole foundation and alternate treatments. Yeah, it's just, it's just my absolute honor. And um, the benefit is to hear these life-changing stories where they had no quality of life. And now I have quality of life because to me, the best of the generation has been sidelined and now we're getting them back on the playing field of life. And if there's ever going to be the leadership that we need to see, then these are the individuals that are going to bring it into fruition. And it's just an honor to continue to serve in that capacity. Honor to know you, John, honor to be on the show. Appreciate you for the opportunity. Thanks again, Andrew, man, that was a powerful episode. Never think that regardless of what is happening to you, 
that you can't find the way to beat it. Exactly what Andrew Marr did on his journey to finding self-recovery. Always have that mindset that you can get beyond your circumstances, whatever they may be. A lot of great information from Andrew, and of course, his book that he mentioned in the movie as well. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. All of our books from guests are linked in our show notes. And please do use those links if you buy books from our guests, because it does help support the show. There is also a video of this interview going up on our YouTube channel at John R. Miles. We also on that channel have mindset moments that will also come out of this episode that either are clips that don't make it to the show and or highlights that you just can't see anywhere else. And I'm at John R. Miles at both Twitter and Instagram, or just hit me up on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us. 